Good morning and welcome to Amazing Women. I'm Deborah Giro. My guest this morning, Paula Bontempi, the Dean of the Graduate School of Oceanography at the University of Rhode Island since September of 2020. Prior to that, Dr. Bontempi served as Acting Deputy Director at NASA's Earth Science Division in Washington, D.C., and spent more than 16 years as the physical scientist and program manager for ocean biology and biogeochemistry at NASA headquarters. She's from New Jersey. Her undergraduate degree is from Boston College, master's from Texas A&M, but her PhD in oceanography from the University of Rhode Island Graduate School of Oceanography. So it looks like you went all the way around town and then came back to Rhode Island. <laughs> Welcome and good morning. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, an honor and a pleasure to be here. No, it, it's a joy. Looking forward to chatting with you. So it looks like science is your thing. What inspired your interest in science and marine biology? So the story goes that when I was five, I was sitting with my family and I turned to my dad and I said, I'm gonna be an oceanographer. And he was like all smiles. And my mom had the scowl on her face. And it honestly took me until I was like almost 30 to understand why that was. And in my father's family, um, all from Italy had been commercial fishermen in Italy and many of them had died at sea actually. And the rest of the remaining brothers got sent to America by their mother to make sure they could start another career. Oh. Um, so you could sort of say that maybe the ocean was always in my blood. Oh, that's kind of cool. You know, your bio, Paula, also says your scientific interests include the earth as a system. How does the planet become someone's interest? So, um, you know, from, from very early on, I realized my role in the earth, you know, a lot of people will say, um, oh, you know, I'm just going to drop this piece of litter. It doesn't matter. I'm just one person. Right. But you realize if everybody thought that way, the world would be a lot different place. Right. Mm. So I kind of look at it as glass half full. Um, what is the one thing I can do in my daily life or two things I can do in my daily life that'll improve life as we know it on this planet, which is the only one we have that's habitable at the moment, right? Good point. Um, and, and our resources are not infinite, right? We can exhaust what's in the ocean that we like to eat, fish or otherwise, and, and it's all about balance. So for me, um, I'm interested in the ocean. I'm interested in the, in the role of the ocean um, in the Earth's climate and all of the pieces of the earth system as it fits together, the ice, the atmosphere, the land, and the water. Mm, I like the saying, meet me where the sky touches the sea. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so what exactly do you study and what do you do at the URI Bay Campus? So um, I still have a toe in research and I still have um, a toe in teaching from time to time if I want it, but my job is almost exclusively administrative. That's making sure that um, the campus runs smoothly from the facilities to the teaching, to the research, um, that my employees on the campus have everything they need to achieve their jobs. Um, this could be federal funding, this could be state funding, this could be partnerships in the state, whether they're industry or nonprofits, um, supporting people like you and your, your day job, right? To um, make sure 
all the work that you do as a Rhode Island representative, which is critical work for the state and its infrastructure, you know, has the answers that it needs to do its job properly. Mm. Um, so it could be anything from A to Z in a shotgun blast each day. Wow. <laughs> so, so the blue technology is so vibrant in Rhode Island, and you talked about partnerships. URI is one of 60 partners that are developing Smart Bay, leveraging coastal resilience, shipping, defense-related research on tides and temperatures. Explain that to us and what you're hoping to accomplish. Yeah, so um, the Smart Bay is just a concept. What I can tell you is that Narragansett Bay itself is utterly critical to the state of Rhode Island's economy. And mm -hmm. it has been studied heavily and oceanographically for almost 70 years. So the largest time series in the world on oceanographic data is Narragansett Bay. Okay? Wow. Many properties. And that's saying something. So what that information tells us over time is how the bay is changing, whether that's physically, chemically, biologically, ecologically. And it's very important information. And think of it this way. How many people do you know wear a, an Apple watch, an Aura ring, or some sort of device that tracks their steps? Um, and you look at that every day and you go, oh my God, I didn't make my steps today. I have to get outside, right? Well, that's the mm. same thing in the Bay. That long time series of information tells us how healthy the Bay is and how it's changing. So where does blue technology come in? Um, what we've realized in Narragansett Bay is that while we've improved things dramatically like water quality over time, think of it this way, you wouldn't eat an oyster from the Bay 40 years ago, but no. now you would, right? Um, so we've changed the chemistry of the Bay for the better, for the economics, for the fisheries. Um, what blue technology seeks to do is to understand what questions remain scientifically and what instruments, what sensors do we need to, to put out in the Bay to address or answer those unremained questions. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're seeking to do is develop an aspect and a partnership of our science with ocean engineering to build those new technologies, to fabricate them on campus, to test them on campus before we go and put them in Narragansett Bay in the world's oceans to answer some of those unknown questions so we can understand and protect our resources in our oceans. It's kind of remarkable that Narragansett Bay has been studied for 70 years. That's pretty unprecedented. So the shifts and the changes in the last 30, 40 years have probably been pretty seismic with climate change. Yes, they have. Um, everything from warming waters, which can fuel and intensify storms, um, to those warming waters actually making commercially viable fish species like winter flounder disappear from the bay because it's too warm for them. I think there was a big Providence Journal article on that a few months ago. Mm -hmm. um, we're seeing these shifts and they're real. And we have to think about as not only a state, but a nation and an international community, what steps we can do to change that. Because mm. our problems in Narragansett Bay and our solutions are also the world's, right? Absolutely. If you're just joining us, uh, thanks for joining us. I'm Deb Ruggiero. Karen Kay is our producer, and my guest is Paula Bontempi, the Dean of the Graduate School of Oceanography at the University of Rhode Island. And prior to that, she spent 16 years as uh, NASA's Earth Science Division uh, in Washington, D.C. Interesting that you were also uh, at NASA. I know we've been talking a lot about the blue technology and the um, connection with global economics. Um, and in your opinion, it's seems like it really matters and it matters a lot, doesn't it? Yes. 
Yeah, um, certainly. I think um, blue technology actually offers an opportunity for partnerships in the state and in the nation as well, right? Um, so whereas our researchers may have an idea of something they want to accomplish, they may not have the means or the technology or the components to actually do that. So blue technology is also about those partnerships in the state and nationwide and what we can accomplish together to address some of our scientific objectives. Well, you seem pretty excited and enthusiastic about the work you're doing at the School of Oceanography. How did you transition from NASA to the academic job that you now have running the School of Oceanography at URI? It's a good question, and I'm not sure I've fully transitioned. Um, okay. from, uh, one of the things that I think has been really fun is, you know, for me, and you mentioned this, like, I'm a graduate of GSO. I'm, I loved Rhode Island. I loved Rhode Island from the minute I showed up and I was so happy to return. Like in the back of my head, I was thinking, I can't wait to go back there someday. And this opportunity presented itself, which is amazing. Um, one of the lessons I think I learned as a Fed um, for so many years working for the, the US government was, and NASA in particular, is just how mission oriented, goal oriented, accomplishment oriented that they are. Um, and so one of the really fun things has been getting back into academia and bringing that mission-oriented mindset to mm -hmm. some of the challenges in academia, which has created a whole lot of fun um, in new pathways and partnerships and strategies for the University of Rhode Island and for the Graduate School of Oceanography. You know, the, the thing is, everybody's had a good idea in their life, but how do I, how do I implement that idea? Mm -hmm. How do I get my institution there, right? Um, and those steps, I think, are something very methodical that I learned at NASA that I think could be very useful to the university. And so what did you do at NASA? So I started out as what's called a program manager, and I managed a portfolio of research in ocean biology and biogeochemistry. And for those of you who don't know what that is, that's a fancy way of saying basically the intersection of biology and chemistry of the ocean. Something hmm. that I think is really hard to make sexy is carbon cycle science and carbon yeah. is the currency of life, right? We're all yeah. made out of carbon. Um, so how that moves through the ocean is part of my, was part of my job at NASA. Um, so I, I wrote research solicitations. I had a research portfolio, but program managers at NASA in earth science are also what we call program scientists, meaning when the agency makes billion dollar plus investments in earth observing satellites, which are on orbit and allow us to look at all different aspects of our earth system individually and together, um, a program scientist is in charge of the science of that mission, making sure its integrity is there, its quality is, is, is very high. And that information is used in things like climate analysis, right? Mm -hmm. to look at what we're doing to our earth system and our climate. And that goes into management, policy, regulation, all things like that. So that was my job for the first 16 and a half years there. Wow. Yeah, carbon cycle science. It's not sexy, but boy, right. is that important, huh? Yeah. <laughs> My guest is Dr. Paula Bontempi. She's the Dean of the Graduate School of Oceanography at the University of Rhode Island. I'm Deb Ruggiero, and we'll be talking climate change, oceans, and a lot more when we return. There's more on Amazing Women. Welcome back to the public affairs show, Amazing Women, that highlights women in Rhode Island who make a difference. I'm Deb Ruggiero, host and creator of this show back in 2004, and we're still going strong. Couldn't do it, though, without Karen Kay, who's at the controls. And joining us is 
Dr. Paula Bontempi, the Dean of the Graduate School of Oceanography at the University of Rhode Island. She's been there since September 2020. Prior to that, Dr. Bontempi served as Acting Deputy Director at NASA's Earth Science Division in Washington, D.C., and 16 years as the Physical Scientist and Program Manager for Ocean Biology at NASA, as we talked a little bit about. She's from New Jersey, graduate of um, Boston College, undergraduate, my alma mater, master's at Texas A&M, but a PhD here in Little Rhodey at URI. And boy, from New Jersey to Boston to Texas, and here you are back in the ocean state. <laughs> Happy to be here. And at the Anchor University, you know, which is known for its oceanography programs, right? Uh, what makes URI School of Oceanography so compelling? Oh, where do I start? Okay, so, um, you know, we, we are right on the ocean, right? And right on Narragansett Bay. And I have to say, like, that may sound contrived. There are other oceanography schools that are there. But there's something about the Bay Campus when you drive up to it and you park and you see the whole campus right on Narragansett Bay, your natural laboratory right in front of you, right? You just say, wow, this is incredibly beautiful. The it is pretty stunning. It is, right? The ship is right out front. Half of the research um, uh, um, institutions that we use, the facilities that we use are all right there, self-contained. A lot of our partners on campus, the US EPA, our colleagues at NOAA, Ocean Engineering, um, a lot of private industry um, has incubator space on campus. And it's really just a magical place. Um, aside from that, uh, we have 34 wonderful faculty, 105 terrific graduate students, um, and a team of employees who are just absolutely amazing at just making the impossible possible. Yeah, the Bay Campus is pretty sweet on Narragansett Bay. Uh, you have the aquarium. You mentioned the research vessel, uh, the Endeavor. Tell us about that. What happens and do students get the chance to actually go out and do research? Yes, ma'am. Um, so she is out the vast majority of every year. She has one of the best crews um, on the face of the planet. Wonderful, wonder wonderful people who make magic happen. Um, they are dedicated. Um, they are thorough and they take anybody who's available and wants to go out to see um, that are federally funded, state funded. There's, there are two programs I want to mention. Um, thank you to the state of Rhode Island for allocating for the Rhode Island Endeavor Program. Mm -hmm. These are funds that come into the University of Rhode Island and the Graduate School of Oceanography that are used particularly for funding days at sea for junior researchers. We also have the Rhode Island Teacher at Sea Program, a competitive program where we take Rhode Island's teachers to sea and we teach them about the scientific sampling that we do what it's like to study the ocean. And once they collect that information, how they can use that in their classrooms to teach their students about the ocean and the earth. Mm. So we have a lot of things that we're really lucky to do. Um, and we arguably have the best research vessel in the regional class. No argument there. I didn't realize though, there's also an inner space center and a Rhode Island nuclear science center at the Bay Campus. Yes, ma'am, that's correct. So the Rhode Island Nuclear Science Center has been there a very long time. Um, it's a um, nuclear reactor in the center of the building and that can be used for a number of things. Um, often 
Certain types of oceanographic or atmospheric samples are run by the nuclear core. Um, and that's an effect that it has on the samples to give uh, certain types of analyses as to the content of chemically of what's in those samples. Um, also, you mentioned the Inner Space Center. The Inner Space Center is arguably the world's best facilities for what we call telepresence, which is a way to um, bring what is happening on a ship through video and audio into the living rooms of the public and into the studio there. Now, where this became really incredibly valuable is now we've gone through what, almost 20 months of COVID, a global pandemic. So through the magic of telepresence, our researchers were able to conduct research at sea and keep everybody safe at home that was also participating in that research through the magic of telepresence. So it was almost like the people at home were on the ship with the people who were on the ship because we had to keep who was on the ship in reduced numbers for safety reasons. Wow. So it's like a way of almost having an uncrewed vehicle, right? You can, you can engage the public in what's happening real time on the vessel. The researchers can be there even if they physically can't be on board. It's just magical. Pretty, pretty remarkable. So are you saying there's really, there's a nuclear reactor on campus? Yes. <laughs> there what's, is. The, what's the danger and risk of that, Paula? Oh, gosh, I, I would say, you know, there's there's a whole team of people from the Rhode Island Nuclear Science Center, and we speak regularly, of course, and it's been there for forever. So I don't mm. ever think there's been a situation where there's been risk. Mm. Um, you know, at the same time, it is a nuclear reactor. And I think it, it has the standard safety protocols in place that uh, any other nuclear reactor would. It is not um, one that generates power. It's not right. that size and scale. Yeah, we're not talking a three mile island here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, For those who remember, if you're just joining us, I'm Deborah Giro, Paula Bontempe, the Dean of the Graduate School of Oceanography at URI, is my guest this morning. So what kind of jobs will a degree in oceanography provide? That is a wonderful question. So I will tell you, you know, back when I was a graduate student, and I'm not going to put a year on it, you know, it was kind of like the academic professorship tenure track position was the holy grail and that's where people wanted to go. Mm -hmm. The world has shifted in the last 25 or 30 years. Students are interested in applied science. What does that mean? Taking all the research that they've done and actually using it for management, for policy to immediately better the world as they know it. Um, because of that, there's been a real shift in the degree programs that the University of Rhode Island has supported. We still give a Master of Science and a PhD, which is a thesis type research degree, but we also give a Master of Oceanography and something called a Blue MBA, mm. where you can come in and get an MBA and a Master of Oceanography, which is a professional master's degree non-thesis, to get some background training to go into a career that doesn't require a PhD, like a tenure track position. So our thousand plus alumni strong have wound up in nonprofits in the federal government, on Capitol Hill, in the White House, um, all over the nation and the world in support of a really vast range of careers. And this can be in renewable energy or basic research mm -hmm. on any number of fields. And what do you do to mentor other young women? Because obviously, whether it's computer science or science or oceanography, these are the jobs of the future and they're high paying jobs. And, and we seem to need more women at the table in these industries. 
Yes, ma'am. Um, I would say, you know, first and foremost, there are some basic practical things. You, you know this as well, right, as a, as a fellow woman leader, right? Um, so uh, every person is different, but, you know, you make sure that other women, other historically marginalized and excluded groups, you know, have people that look like them so they can see themselves in the careers that they want. That's the right. first step is opening those doors for people, making sure women know um, you belong there. You earned this. Hold your ground, okay? Yeah. Um, be constructive, be supportive of each other. And on top of that, what can I do for you? What can we do together, right? Is there an opportunity um, that I can make happen for you, with you, together? Um, on top of that, I think of things like um, academics. It's just about supporting each other. There, there every day, every one of us has walked into our jobs and said, oh my God, I can't handle this today. Um, I just can't wait until this day is over, this week is over, can I get through this month? And it's just about listening and hearing people and being there to support each other because there are gonna be highs and lows. Totally, totally, that's great advice. What do you love most about your work? GSO was a place that was formative for me, not just as a scientist, but as a person. Um, I'm about the people. If the people are happy, if they're glad to be there, if they're supported, if they feel a sense of belonging, and they feel like the institution is diverse, equitable, and inclusive, um, then creating that safe environment space for people to be successful is what I'm all about. Um, I will tell you after two decades at NASA, I love the exploration. I love the discovery and I love the research. I love that there are things we're still learning about our ocean, about our earth system. And I love engaging the public so they understand what it is we do and what they can do to learn more about the ocean, the earth and, and things to just make our resources sustainable. Mm. We talked earlier about you know the changes You've certainly seen, as many scientists have over the past decades in Narragansett Bay, you've studied, observed the sea level rise, the tidal changes, all, of course, impacting uh, because of the climate crisis. Uh, first and second beaches in Newport and Middletown losing a foot of shoreline every year. So in the next 50, 60 years, our children's lifetime, right, it'll be pretty much unrecognizable from today. Uh, what keeps you up at night and how do we mitigate that? Yeah, all of this keeps me up at night. You know, one of the things that that drives me bananas, of course, as so many, is that we could just regulate fossil fuel emissions. And the thing that I want to say about that is, you know, the United States is an incredibly smart, incredibly resilient country. From the researchers to the policymakers, there's opportunity in, in alternative fuels other than, you know, fossil fuels, okay? Um, I think whole industries could be created in offshore renewable energy, um, wind energy, alternative fuel systems. People think about this and spend whole careers thinking about this. Um, so, you know, that our resources won't be around for future generations um, mm. scares me that the earth may be different, that there are um, microplastics and contaminants and harmful chemicals in our drinking water. Um, that there's trash in places there shouldn't be, that our foodstuffs and fiber aren't sustainable, um, that our population is growing like crazy on the earth, right? Um, six, seven, eight billion people in the coming years. And it's, it's like, do we have enough to feed everyone so they have clean drinking water, that they have jobs? 
this is as a parent, you know, regardless of my ocean status. It's a sustainability issue. It is. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's pure and simple. So in the last 30 seconds or so, what advice do you have for young people, young men and women who are interested in science, oceanography, maybe even space? Get involved and speak out. And let me tell you, if space is your dream, if oceanography is your dream, um, stick with it. Anything that we can do at GSO to support you engaging, I don't care if you're a kindergartner, a high school student or a college student, you know, we're, we're here to educate and support. Um, and I just want to say to those involved and in, interested in space, let me tell you, if I had if I had fallen over, just like you, Representative Ruggiero, every time someone told you you couldn't do something, um, <laughs> we wouldn't be here. And there are plenty of female astronauts, plenty of female oceanographers, plenty of black astronauts and oceanographers and more to come. That's right. Dr. Bon Tempe, Dean of the Graduate School of Oceanography at University of Rhode Island. Thank you so much for your inspirational words, for spending some time with us this morning. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. I end every show with a quote, and this one is from poet and author Sarah Kay. There's nothing more beautiful than the way the ocean refuses to stop kissing the shoreline, no matter how many times it's sent away. I like that. Oh, I <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your weekend. I'm Deb Ruggiero, and don't forget you can listen online anytime at the website amazingwomenri.com. Stay well. <laughs>